Let's get into the book of Exodus. We're in the book of uh, Exodus 9 this morning. Last week, we ended up in front of Pharaoh again. Over and over, it seems like we're in front of Pharaoh. Uh, and I say we, but really Moses and Aaron and so forth. Uh, and what does he keep saying to Pharaoh? Anyone? Oh, let's try that again. What does he keep saying to Pharaoh? Let my people go so that we may go and worship the Lord their God. So we're, we're, so we started talking about what happens, uh, this whole idea of let my people go. In other words, he's wanting to take them out of bondage. And what happens when we come out of bondage? We have to go somewhere. We have to go this direction or that direction. And hopefully when we come out of bondage, we go towards something that's worship, worship of the Lord our God. And not just go, you know, I call it the Pharaoh syndrome. My wife and I are talking, a couple other people were talking this last week. The Pharaoh syndrome. Oh, pray for me, pray for me, help me, help me. Pray to the Lord that he would help me. I got some breathing room. And then what happens? My heart goes right back to being hard. I got a little breathing room, so therefore I I don't go toward God. I don't worship the Lord um, because I've gotten a little bit of relief. And that's called the Pharaoh syndrome and stuff. So when we come out of bondage, we have to decide if we're going to worship or not. Because worship is huge. Worship is so important to our lives and our relationship with the Lord. And really it's the key to, to, to our relationship with God. And we can either choose to worship or not. So as a church, we have to learn how to worship. We've got to learn how to love God through our worship. And then that should lead toward learning how to love each other even more, which should lead toward learning how to love this world even more. And go out there and be, ta- and be talking about Jesus. Go out there and be showing the world through our actions and our words what we truly believe in. My hope as a pastor is that you really take this seriously. And if you're not, I pray that the Lord would just totally make you miserable. You know what I'm saying? I know it's odd for a pastor to say that, but it's true. You know, the, this past week we've had um, on TV or two weeks ago or whatever, the, the very Brady uh, special. You know what I'm talking Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, good. I thought I was out there in La La Land together, you know, again. But, but you know, the Brady Bunch, you know, the TV show, and they brought them all back together. And, and, and you know the scene where they open up and the house is on the block? Well, that house, they just took pictures of the outside, and then they made the inside however they wanted. So it wasn't the same, okay? So HGTV bought the house, and they reconstructed and all that. So um, it, it's been on the air for like 50 years, okay? And why am I talking about this? Well, I have a reason. Do you remember the Tiki God episode? Everything started going wrong, you know, because they had a little Tiki God. I think it was from Hawaii or something like that, Hawaii. See how I always bring it back to that. And, you know, but, but you know, everything always goes wrong because they believed in that kind of stuff. Or, you know, it made them miserable. Or the lava rock, you know, bringing the lava rock back and all the things that, that happened. Uh, I don't believe in that stuff. I don't... Uh, you know, I know we, we use the term knock on wood, and, and I, I always say, well, I would say knock on wood if I believed in that, but I don't really believe in that, you know. So we bring lava rocks back from Hawaii. We got some, a cool collection of lava rocks, if you ever want to see them, different kinds. I could talk all day about it. It's awesome. But, but, but you know, the, the funny part, the reason why I bring it up is because in that show, it made them miserable. Well, I pray that the Lord makes you miserable if you're not taking your relationship with him seriously. That whatever tiki is in your life, whatever lava rock that you brought back to your life would just make you miserable until you turn to the Lord. Okay, so there you go. That's the pastor's take of the day. We could just say amen and be gone, right? 
There we go. Yeah, everybody's excited about that. Well, let's get into the word, I guess. Um, So we're back to chapter 9 with Moses and Pharaoh. And it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go and continue to hold them back, the hand of the Lord will bring terrible plague on your livestock in the field, on your horses and your donkeys and your camels, and on your cattle and sheep and goats. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and that of Egypt, so that no animal belonging to the Israelites will die. The Lord set a time and said, Tomorrow the Lord will do this in the land. And the next day the Lord did it. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but no, uh, not one animal belonging to the Israelites died. Now this in itself is a miracle, where you have some animals dying and some not. The Lord clearly delineated between the, thing, between the two. Scholars believe that the Israelites uh, uh, consisted of about 600,000 men, okay? So then you add on all the women and children. Now, you know, in today's day and age, we like our 2.4 children or whatever you want to call it. You know what I'm saying? I'd hate to be the 0.4 child, you know, in that equation. But, you know, but back then, I mean, you had 10, 12 kids. It was nothing to have that many kids. So imagine 600,000 men of, of fighting age, that would be mar- marriage age, and then all the children and all the women that go along go along with that. So anywhere from one to four million people here, the Israelites consisted of, how much livestock do you think they had? That's a lot of livestock to feed a lot of people. Because you need baby livestock, you know what I'm saying? You need need the ones that uh, that are coming along to feed later. So, I mean, there's all sorts of animals going going around here. But all the Egyptians once die, and the Hebrew livestock do not. This is a miracle. Verse 7, it says, Pharaoh sent men to investigate and found that not even one of the animals of the Israelites had died. Yet his heart was unyielding, and he would not let his people go. This is amazing to me. He sends people out to investigate, yet he's unwilling to recognize the Israelite God. And he asked Moses to pray for him. Why does he want prayer? You know, he's sitting there going, pray for me. I don't want a relationship with that God, but pray for me. That amazes me that that that's what he's wanting here. Verse 8 says, And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take hands full full of soot from the furnace, and have Moses toss it in the air in the presence of Moses. Couldn't you imagine Moses, you know, coming, I mean, in in the presence of Pharaoh. Couldn't you imagine him coming in and grabbing, you know, going over to the fire, grabbing a whole bunch and just throwing it up in the air? You know, who was the basketball player that did that all the time? Oh, thank you. A couple of people watch sports in here. LeBron James, he would do that before games and all that. He'd go over there and take the chalk and he'd, you know, throw it up and all that. But imagine doing this in Pharaoh's court. Imagine doing this in front of, uh, you know, the Iranian uh, dictator. Imagine doing this in front of, you know, the the Queen of England or, or Donald Trump or the guy in charge of Canada. You know, you just don't do this kind of stuff. So think about that. He, you know, he's doing this in front of it. It's pretty cool. Now, uh, uh, it says here, it became fine dust over the whole land of Egypt, and festering boils will break out on men and animals throughout the land. Now, these furnaces are the ones where they would, uh, would be firing the bricks, okay? And the hands of Israel uh, work these furnaces all the time. God is telling them 
Your work is done. So we're relating back to the furnaces that they would use to, to fire all the bricks and all that. And, and basically it's telling Egypt, now you're going to burn out of this. And the word for boil here is a deep heating wound, something that burns and, and will not quit. I don't know if you've ever had something like that. It, 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 I could imagine it would not be fun at all. So it goes on in verse 10. So they took soot from the furnace and stood before Pharaoh. Moses tossed it into the air, and festering boils broke out on men and animals. The magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils that were on them and all the Egyptians. Now, all these boils, this included Pharaoh himself. Couldn't you imagine this? Pharaoh is trying to meet with Aaron and Moses. And he's trying to find some Egyptian makeup that can hide what's going on on his head and on his face and so forth. To hide the boils, walking around, you know, he couldn't sit on the throne today because he had boils going on. I mean, you know what I'm saying? You're uncomfortable all over. Verse 12, it says, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not listen to Moses and Aaron. Just as the Lord had said to Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. Let my people go, so, why? That they may worship me. Or this time I will send a full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people. So let me see. The Nile turning the blood and the fish dying, the frog infestation, the gnat biting, the flies everywhere, and now boils. This is not the full force? You know, not a big deal so far, I guess. He goes on, so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and all your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth, but I've raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my people might be proclaimed in all the earth. Yet you set yourself against my people and will not let them go. This is a very fascinating thing here, to proclaim the, his name here. Uh, basically, God is going to use Egypt to proclaim his name. It says that God raised them up for this very purpose. So God has been working with the Egyptian people for quite a long time, raising, I think this is, uh, they think somewhere around the, the, the 17th or 18th dynasty or something like that, if you go back and, and study it. I think that's where this is at. You know, or at least that's what the scholars say. God has been working on these people for so long, and God has had, their hand, had his hand on them. He has blessed them and their land. He blessed them in their way they could feed people, just so Joseph could end up put in slavery in their country. Think about that for a second. He raised them up, so Joseph could be thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, and get to Egypt so he could be put in charge. Well, actually, so he could be put in jail. And then he could be brought out of jail so that he could interpret the dream, so he could be in charge of Egypt's land, so he could save his family, so he could, you know, so, so the family would come and live there, so the family would end up in slavery for 400 years after he dies. So God could raise up Moses and say to Pharaoh, let my people go so they can worship me. All so God can show his power. So his name could be proclaimed in all the known world. 
So the next time you get upset at politics, remember that God is in control. Whether you liked Obama or not, God allowed him to be put in charge. Whether you like Trump or not, God allowed him to be put in charge. God is in control. Look at what he did for Egypt. Egypt would become afraid of God. They are the strongest country at that point, and they were to be afraid. And when a strong country is afraid, what happens? Other people pay attention, don't they? What's going on over there? What's going on? You have the Phoenicians coming down the Nile, trading, docking their boats. Hey, guys, how's it going? Oh, terrible. Man, this has been a bad year going on. All these plagues don't get off the boat. Why? Well, the God of Hebrews got all these plagues going on us. Why? We don't know. It's an invisible God. We even offered to let them worship in our land, and they won't do it. They want to go out into the desert. The Phoenicians leave and tell the stories to everyone they run into. The known world. Many scholars believe that the Pharaoh here is Tutmosis II. The evidence is building to, if you get into the weeds of all this, they're moving Exodus back to 1500 B.C. instead of 1270 B.C. And if it was Tutmosis II, Tutmosis III takes over, which is not Tutmosis II firstborn. I wonder why that is. Have you read ahead? He loses this child. This is his secondborn, Tutmosis III, okay? This guy goes across the, uh, the Canaan many years later looking for Israel in Canaan because where's Israel supposed to be? They were going to Canaan, right? What happened to them? They ended up in the desert for 40 years. But he doesn't know that. He goes to Canaan looking for them and subdues the Canaanites for several years. And on top of Megiddo in Israel, there's a period of time where there's a major Egyptian influence, and when he returns to Egypt, uh, he never saw the Israelites at all. And the whole time they're in Canaan, they're telling stories of why they're searching for Israel. Oh, they plundered us. We had the worst time with these Hebrews. Hebrews, who are they? Oh man, if you ever run into them, look out. We're going to try to destroy them, but if you ever run into them, look out. They, you, they look like these wimpy shepherd people, but they're God. They don't, you know, they didn't have any weapons, and they plundered us. We gave them our gold and said, "Leave." Or at least our ancestors did. We wouldn't have done that, but our ancestors did. So guess what happens when Israel finally enters the Promised Lands? The Canaanites have heard of them. Rahab says to the spies in, in the book of Joshua, we are scared to death. We're scared, we are scared to death of you guys. Egypt has told us all about your God. So when God says, I raised you up to, so you could proclaim, or so I could use you to proclaim my name to all the earth, he is in charge and he makes it happen. One little sentence, <laughs> so much goes with it. Verse 16, it says, But I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power, and that my name may be, might be proclaimed in all the earth. Yet still set your, you still set yourself against my people and will not let them go. 
Verse 18, therefore at this time uh, tomorrow I will send the worst hailstorm that has ever fallen on Egypt from the day it was founded till now. Give an order now to bring your livestock and everything you have in the field uh, to, to a place of shelter because the hell will fall on every man and animal that has not been brought in and is still out in the field and they will die. This is fascinating to me. You know what I see here? See God's mercy. Because God could have just brought the hailstorm and never said a word. Just another plague. Just another thing I'm doing. But what did God do? He gave them protection. In order to have protection, they first had to believe. So all the Israelites, what are they, all the Hebrews, what are they doing? They're taking all the livestock that's still alive, they're bringing them inside the house. Make way for the cow, make way for the ox, make way, you know. Okay, put the ox over in the corner by the dining room table. You know what I'm saying? They're just trying to stuff all the animals in because they've seen the plagues, they believe. The Egyptians, some might be ready, but most of them aren't. This is the same with us. We have the same choice. We have to decide, do we want to be under the protection of the Lord or do we not? Because this world, Satan throws a lot of stuff at this world. And God will protect us if we're under his protection. God will protect us from many things that we have no clues going on. But when we decide to get out from underneath that protection, what happens? We're at the mercy of the world. The hell can come down on us, figuratively and literally. Verse 20, it says, Those officials of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord hurried to bring in their slaves and their livestock inside. I would imagine Pharaoh's playing, paying close attention, close attention here to, to who's doing what. Oh, I, I see Gary's taking his livestock inside. Oh, but Bob and Joyce aren't. You know what I'm saying? I mean, Pharaoh's just keeping tabs. Who, who says they believe this? Who says they don't? Uh, you know, it says here in verse 21, but those who ignored the word of the Lord left their slaves <coughs> and livestock in the field. Now, who are the slaves and the livestock? The slaves were the Hebrews. And you're thinking, well, I thought all the livestock were dead. No, the Hebrew livestock wasn't dead. So you have Hebrew livestock, not up, uh, only up in Goshen, but these people have moved where? Into the city. They're slaves. So they have to feed their own family and so forth. You know, the, 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 the slave owners aren't going to provide for the slaves. You know, you raise your own livestock. So, so you have extra livestock around that belong to the Hebrews that have not died yet. So, you know, you <coughs> see all this happening here. It says, verse 22, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky so that the hell will fall all over Egypt on men and women and on everything growing in the fields of Egypt. When Moses stretched out his staff toward the sky, the Lord sent thunder and hell and lightning flashed down on the ground so that the Lord rained hell on the land of Egypt. Hell fell and lightning flashed back and forth. It was the worst storm in all the land of Egypt since it had become a nation. Now, I've heard about some of these storms that are just phenomenal. I mean, I grew up in and Houston and hurricanes coming through and, and they can be loud they can be awesome at the same time they can be frightening um, and when I went to college I went on scholarship but I didn't uh, they didn't do 
provide room and board, but they did provide a, a place for us to live. We lived underneath the stadium at the groundskeeper old apartment, okay? So we weren't homeless underneath the stadium. We were actually in a little apartment there, all the trainers. So, you know, like, like seven of us were living in this little bitty, I want to say about three to 400 square foot area, I think. I mean, it was pretty packed in there and uh you know we got to become really good friends over the years you know because <laughs> oh, you're just hanging out with each other you know but at night the storms would come through and 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 the lightning and the thunder and it would echo underneath the stadium because it was all cement and i mean it would wake us up i mean it, there was times when we were you know it frightened us it was so loud even though we were under that protection but imagine god intensifying the storm think of the worst storm you've ever been in and then make it unimaginable. That's God intensifying it. Verse 25 says, throughout Egypt, hell struck everything in the fields, both men and animals. It beat down everything growing in the fields and stripped every tree. The only place it did not hell was the land of Goshen, where the Israelites were. You can imagine the, you know, the real estate values going up right now, skyrocketing, right? Verse 27, then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron this time I've sinned, he said to them. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Pray to the Lord. We have had enough thunder and hell. I will let you go. You don't have to stay any longer. <clears throat> Moses replied, when I've gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands in prayer to the Lord. The thunder will stop, and there will be no more hell, so that you may know the earth is the Lord's. This is very interesting. Egypt has taken all of their gods from the earth, and yet they're recognizing a God that's bigger than all of that. It says in verse 30, but I know that you and your officials do, uh, still do not fear the Lord. He's saying, I'm going to do this, but you and your officials, you don't fear the Lord. You just want it all to stop. The, uh, verse 31, the flax and barley were destroyed since the barley had handed uh, and the flax was in bloom or had headed and the flax was in bloom the wheat and spelt however were not destroyed because they ripen later in other words it's telling us what season this is uh what season this is at um now this whole if you go back and study and all the, the scholars think that this whole thing took eight months okay so we've had <clears throat> i don't know how many plagues so far but uh, I think nine plagues and all of this so far. I think we will study the 10th one next week. But don't think of this as one day, oh, a plague, and oh, stuff happened. He went back into Pharaoh. The next day, another plague. No, this was months of this going on. This is miserable. Have you ever been part of a miserable season? You know, okay, wait, we live in Tulare. Yes, okay. So, you know, when the, when the sun turns and, it, you know, you have 30 days of over 100-degree weather and you, it's just like stay inside, you know. Or, you know, a couple of summers we've hit where it's been 117 and stuff like that. Now, mind you, 117 is like 95 in Houston where I grew up. And it hit 95 all the time. But we had humidity, you know. It's a dry heat. But it still is miserable, right? This was months and months and months of this going on. It says in verse 33, then, Pharaoh, uh, then Moses left Pharaoh and went out into the city. He spread out his hands toward the Lord. The thunder and the hell stopped, and the rain no longer poured down on the land. When Pharaoh saw that the rain and hell and thunder had stopped, he sinned again. Isn't that typical? 
oh, got relief. Now I can do whatever I want. He sinned again. He and his officials hardened their hearts. So Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not let the Israelites go, just as the Lord had said through Moses. You know, the hardening of the heart uh, is kind of spreading. You know, you see it from the top down. Pharaoh's like, mm mm, mm mm. So his other officials were copying Pharaoh. Mm mm, no, 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 no. You know, so we're seeing that slide there. Chapter 10, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and his hearts of his officials, so that I may perform these miracles, uh, miraculous signs of mine among them, that you may tell your children and grandchildren how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians and how I performed my signs among them, and that you may know that I am Lord. You see how the switch is coming on here? I've done this against them so that you may tell the story so that you may also know. In other words, you may remember this because you're going to act like them one day. Your hearts are going to be hardened like Pharaoh's heart. See, I think there's so many times when God moves through us for the sake of other people. But I also think that God has something there for us. It strengthens our faith. This is why serving is so important. Through serving, we forget about ourselves. Through serving, we start to think of others. Through serving, we begin to see the, the hand of the Lord working in the lives of other people. And if, and if we are not serving him, we miss out in a couple of ways. We miss out because God's work doesn't get done, first of all. And secondly, we don't see the blessing, and we don't, we're not able to be blessed. Verse 3, it says, So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, This is what the Lord said, the God of the Hebrews says, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? And this is the real issue. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will bring locusts into your country Tomorrow, they will cover the face of the ground so that cannot be uh, cannot be seen. They will devour what little you have left after the hill, including every tree that growing in the fields. They will fill your houses and all those uh, officials and all the Egyptians. Something neither your your fathers nor your forefathers had ever seen from the day they settled in this land till now. Then Moses turned to and left Pharaoh. Pharaoh's official said to him, How long will this man be a snare to us? Let the people go so that they may worship the Lord their God. Isn't it great when even the pagans start getting the, the message a little bit here? His officials are finally going, What, another one's coming? Why don't you just let them go? And then they add, Do you not realize or not yet realize that Egypt is ruined? Verse 8, it says in Moses, and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. Go, worship the Lord your God, he said, but just who, is, but just who will be going? Moses answered, we will go with our young and old, with our sons and daughters, with our flocks and herds, because we celebrate a festival to the Lord. Pharaoh said, the Lord will be with you if I let you go along with your women and children. Clearly, you're bent on evil. No, have only the men go and worship the Lord, since that's what you've been asking for. Then Moses and Aaron were driven out of Pharaoh's presence. 
So they're kind of getting irritated enough to kind of drive them out. But here's another compromise that Pharaoh is offering. Okay, okay, okay. Just all the men. Because, I mean, that's really what you've been asking for. Because in Egyptian culture, in many cultures, the women and children just didn't matter. It was all about the men. And the men led the worship, and the men worship, and so forth. Luckily, it's not that way anymore, so ladies don't get upset. I'm just saying that's the way it was. So, he's saying, you all can go, but, but leave the women and children. Now, why does he want the women and children left? Well, they're going to come back for them, right? So they can't just take off. <clears throat> so, now are the Israelites, when they finally do leave, are they going to come back? Have you read ahead? The answer is the same. Are they going to come back? No. Have you read ahead? No. Okay, anyway. <clears throat> but the Israelites are not going to come back. So Pharaoh is kind of on to them a little bit, you know. Uh, the, he's like, this is the best offer I'm going to give you. Now get out of here. And <clears throat> you have Pharaoh thinking he still has power over them. So the other plague hits. Because he promised if you don't do this, the plague's going to come. I don't know if you ever seen locust plagues come into uh, to town anybody saw the las vegas video recently where the you know okay good a couple of people shaking their heads locusts were coming into town and i mean they're just anywhere there was light they're just flying all over and people were trying to keep the doors shut but imagine a sky being black you know if you ever seen a locust uh swarm they're like uh, oh what are those little birds that are always together and they and what are they swallows that are all together hundreds of them and they do all these patterns well locusts uh, you know can be the same way and you can see them coming but imagine the sky being darkened by the locusts they just eat everything i mean it's just amazing so this plague hits verse 12 it says and the lord said to moses stretch out your hand over egypt so the locusts will swarm over the land and devour everything growing in the fields everything left by the hell so, so basically, it was knocked down by the hell. They couldn't even go out there and pick up what was left over. Because why? Here come the locusts, you know. So Moses stretched out his staff over Egypt, and the Lord made, the, made an east wind blow across the land all that day and all that night. By morning, the wind had brought the locusts. They invaded all of Egypt and settled down in every area of the country in great numbers. Never before had there been such a plague of locusts, nor will there ever be again. They covered all the, ground, um, all the ground until it was black. They devoured all that was left after the hell. Everything growing in the fields and the fruit on the trees. Nothing green remained on tree or plant in all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh quickly summoned Moses and Aaron. I bet he did. <laughs> and said to them, I've sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now forgive me, uh, give my, forgive my sin once more. And pray the Lord your God will take this deadly plague away from me. Moses then left Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. And the Lord changed the wind to, the very, uh, to a very strong west wind, which caught up the locusts and carried them into the Red Sea. Not a locust was left anywhere in Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let the Israelites go. Now again, I, I do want to address, it keeps saying the Lord hardened his heart. The Lord knows Pharaoh. He knows what directions he's going to go. So he allowed Pharaoh's heart to harden. In other words, he allowed the person to make their decision to harden their heart. Okay, so it's not like the Lord has his hand going, going. Oh, you're, you're. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make you 
go against me. He's not doing that. The person was going to go against him no matter what, and the Lord knows that. So the Lord allowed it to happen. Verse 21, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky so that darkness will spread over Egypt, darkness that can be felt. This is a weird kind of darkness. You know what I'm saying? Darkness, this is a more than just a, a darkness. Uh, I, when we were up in Canada, you know that tingling feeling you get? You know, something's kind of a little weird or something's off. My, uh, I was talking to the men on the Saturday at the breakfast, and my cousin had uh, gone out, and there was a, did I tell you guys this last week about the trail that he went on? Okay, good. So he was going on this trail, portage over to another lake. And we often do that. We'll go over to another lake. But he was by himself. Usually we always go with someone. So he gets out, gets all his equipment. He's going up the, the trail. And, I mean, he's a hiker. So, I mean, he can run uh, fast and all. He's a sprint. You know, he, he does all these 5Ks and 15Ks, 10Ks, whatever you call them. He runs. So he, he gets up on top. He sees the lake, takes a couple of pictures, and then starts down the trail. And then all of a sudden he goes... And there was a musky smell, okay? Now, there's a lot of bears and moose up in Canada, okay? That's the first sign that something's not good. And he said it just felt kind of, you know, that feeling came over him. And then he hears a, and he goes, I stopped, and I just kind of looked around, didn't move. And then he goes, about 10 seconds later, I heard another, and he goes, I just turned around and ran. You know, he just backed down the trail. He's going, I'm not going over there unless you, he's talking to me and my brother. I'm not going over there unless you and Josh are with me. And I'm thinking, wait a second, you just want slower people with you. You know? I'm not saying the kid's dumb. He's pretty smart, but man, you know? But, you know, it's the same thing with darkness. You get that tingly feeling, you know? This is darkness. It's more than just darkness. Verse 22, it says, So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, and total darkness covered all of Egypt for three days. Does that remind you of anything? How about Christ? Darkness for three hours? It's a kind of a foreshadowing. Verse 23, No one could see anything, uh, anyone else or leave his place for three days. Yet all the Israelites had light in their places where they lived. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, Go, Worship the Lord. Even your women and children may go with you. Only leave your flocks and herds behind. In other words, one more compromise. You know, I'll let you go, but I won't let you take your food with you. You know, but Moses said, "You must allow us to have uh, to have sacrifices and burnt offerings to the uh, to present to the Lord our God. Our livestock too must go with us. Not a hoof is to be left behind. We have to use some of them in worshiping the Lord our God." And until we get there, we will not know what we will use to worship the Lord. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he was not willing to let them go. Pharaoh said to Moses, get out of my sight. Make sure you do not appear before me again. The day you, do, the day you see my face, you will die. Just as you say, Moses replied, I will never appear before you again. <clears throat> now, if you read ahead you will see another conversation between Moses and Pharaoh. So what does this mean here? He will never appear before him again as a subject. He's coming in, in other words, in the pecking order, here's Pharaoh and here's Moses and Aaron. He's going, 
Never again will I appear before you as your subject. In other words, I might talk to you again, but I, you know, you're not going to be in charge of me. I will no longer be under your hand. I will, I will never come before you with you being my judge. Now, we've covered nine out of the ten plagues, and, and I really want to do the whole sermon on the last plague and, and the Passover. But before we end today, I have to wonder, was Moses ever tempted by the compromises offered by Pharaoh? Man, if we just take this one compromise, maybe we can get out of here, you know? Because he, he really doesn't negotiate with Pharaoh. And here Pharaoh is negotiating with Moses. Moses has never read the book of you know, Exodus. He doesn't know what's going to happen. And it's amazing to, to be a Christian today. And you know why? Because we know what's going to happen in the end. We don't have to worry. And that's one of the things that I, we have to constantly tell ourselves. Stop worrying about this because you can look at the news and you can worry yourself to death. We know what's going to happen. Moses did not. The disciples didn't know what was going to happen. We get to read the Word of God and know what's going to happen. So he leaves every time talking with Aaron. Did we do it right? Did we say the right things? I don't know. Do you think he'll follow through? I'm not sure. God didn't say, oh, by the way, there's going to be ten plagues, and in the end you're going to get to leave. God didn't tell him that. You know, we have all these nice posters, the ten plagues of God, you know. They didn't have those hanging up everywhere, you know. So, you know, I wonder if they were like, well, we'll see what happens with this locust thing. I wonder if he goes, Aaron, did you make that up on the fly? Oh, flies. Oh, yeah, we talked about flies. Okay, no, but, and he's going, no, 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 no. God told me to say it. Well, I hope they show up. Yeah, I mean, you can imagine that what's going on through their minds, you know. I want you to understand. I want you to let these people be people because they're just like I, you and I. And God chose to use them. I can imagine them being guys. I mean, I just was on a trip with a bunch of guys, you know, you know, going, man, did you see the boil on the top of his head? I couldn't even look at him, you know. It was hard talking with the man. I was trying not to laugh the whole time. But I often wonder if he was tempted at all by this. Man, we could just worship the Lord right here. You know, he said we could worship. I mean, we could put on a big show in front of all the Egyptians. Let's just let it be over with. See, the enemy offers us the same thing. Just stay the way you are. Stay at the same place. It has worked for you this long. I mean, look at you. And look at that other person. They've screwed up much more than you have. So therefore, you must be a better person. God, you know, you, you, you don't have to worry about this part of your life because you're doing much better than that person over there. I wonder if Satan just goes, just worship the Lord your God in your land and you'll be okay. But our answer has to be no. Our answer has to be, I have to get out of this bondage. Therefore, there are certain places that I can't go anymore because it, you know, leads me down that path of destruction. Certain things maybe I shouldn't drink or eat. Certain things I should stop watching because it leads me down a path of destruction. It reminds me of things that I shouldn't be doing or looking at. Or we need to stay away from certain friendships or relationships. 
because it puts my mind on things that it shouldn't be on. We got to look at stuff and say, that's Egypt for me, and I have to draw a line. I've got to come out of bondage. And this is what we call holiness. Coming out of bondage is a holy thing to go toward the Lord. He offers several sacrifices, several things. Just worship right here. The second compromise, just go out into the desert. Just don't go too far. You know, the enemy tries to make us feel really stupid. I mean, you know, it's 2019, and you truly still believe that stuff? You hear that all the time. I mean, you, you, you truly believe that Christianity stuff? I mean, it is 2019. Get a lie. Just don't go too far. You know, the third compromise. Well, go ahead and go, but don't take your family with you. You know, oftentimes people are afraid of change. Well, what will my wife think? What will my husband think? What will my family think, you know, if I do this? The fourth compromise. Well, you can go, just leave your stuff. Don't, you know, don't give it to the Lord. I mean, the church is going to rip you off. You know, this last week I was watching a news program where it has several people talking back and forth. And one of the questions uh, that came up was, what do you really hate to do that you're kind of made to do? And one person was like, anything to do with the government. I hate having to pay taxes. I hate doing this. And at the very end, it's fixing to switch to another person. And, and the, uh, the lady goes, and tithing. And I'm like... Wow, because the Lord is not making us tithe. No one is making us give things to the, back to the Lord. We have to be willing to give to the Lord. I mean, people's reactions, well, why do you, you, you mean you give away good, hard-earned money? You know, you're going to need that cattle in the wilderness. Why are you sacrificing that to the Lord? See, when we start to, you know, to, to, to give to the Lord in, in multiple ways, as in, you know, our hard-earned cash and, and our time, our effort, our energy, and all those things, the Lord starts to bless us. We can do one of two things. We can either compromise or give in to the enemy and live in bondage. Or we can just go for it. We have to decide for the rest of our lives that we're going to go for it. That we're going to live for God no matter the consequences on this earth because this earth is not my life. I'm not of this world. I just happen to live in it right now. One day, I'm going to be with the Lord our God in heaven. And I want to live good today for tomorrow. Because we have to pray for the bondage that we may be in. we got to pray that, that, that uh, you know, if we're in a bondage, as, as we get ready to leave Egypt, in a sense, we have to pray through that. And when we get to the wilderness, we have to pray through that. And we get to the promised land, we have to pray about the promised land because the enemy is still out there in the promised land. And that promised land for us right now is our life with the Lord and the blessings that we receive in that promised land. Now, the ultimate promised land is in heaven, and we don't have to worry about that. God has already taken care of that. He's already defeated Satan, amen? So we don't have to worry about the ultimate end. But right now, we pray that our relationship with the Lord is strong enough 
that when stuff hits us, we don't just flip over like a boat. We don't just sink. That we may be up there crashing in those waves, but we're going to make it through it. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful that uh, you've drawn us this picture. This picture of people willing to sacrifice everything to go and worship you. That there is a, a uh, route ahead, a journey ahead for them that'll be hard. Be a part of the desert. Yet, they learn who you are and how to worship you. And I pray that we learn that on our journey. That we learn how to worship you. That we don't stay out in the wilderness of 40 years. That we can make it to the promised land and you can bless us when we act and, and do the things that you call us to do. That we don't allow those out there in authority. We don't allow those out there that, that are friends or family to, to give us compromises and for us to take those compromises. That you protect us from that, Lord. You give us the strength and the ability to, to withstand those. I pray that you uh, continue to teach us as we go through this book, Lord. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may he bless you this week. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.